I just learned really quickly that there's a lot of, there's almost the same amount of risk when you're building a duplex versus if you were going to go buy and build a 48 unit apartment complex, you're still dealing with the municipality, just adding zeros to everything. You're yeah. still dealing with municipalities, you're still dealing with subcontractors, you're still dealing with a schedule, so on and so forth. And, you know, we, I got halfway through this duplex and went, oh my God, this is consuming so much of my time and I'm going to make 800 bucks a month. Like it's not worth it. And that's really where it was like, okay, I need to, I just, I'm thinking too small. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. I'm flying solo again this week. Brittany has just got too much going on. Uh, so she couldn't join us. But our guest this week is the other half, he might say the better half, of the Crystal Coast Capital Holdings Company, a mid-sized multifamily investor and boating enthusiast. Uh, Jimmy Johnner, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hey, thanks for having me, Neil. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Mr. Johnner, uh, where were you last Saturday when we interviewed your, your partner, Alan Hill? Um, I was out on the boat. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's why you said boating enthusiast, I guess. Um, yeah, I was, uh, was out with some friends out on the uh, out on the boat here in North Carolina. Gotcha. And so, where uh, where in North Carolina are you based? So, um, so our listeners know. Yeah, based in Beaufort, North Carolina, southernmost part of the Outer Banks, um, not too far from Wilmington. A lot of people are familiar with Wilmington and Raleigh, so we're kind of gotcha. about two hours from both. Gotcha. It's sort of dead center in the center of the uh, of the coast, isn't it? Yeah, pretty close. We're a little more southern, but yeah, right dead center. Gotcha. Gotcha. Beautiful area. I've seen some pictures of it recently. I saw a picture of a, a house and a historic house in Beaufort that you uh, that you you posted, and, and it was it's gorgeous. Looks like a yeah, gorgeous it's, area. it's a beautiful area. I'm biased, of course, but uh, born and raised in a town right next, you know, five miles down the road, and um, am uh, blessed to uh, be where I am for sure. Gotcha. And and you're you're obviously you, you're coastal, so you can you can hop on your boat and go out into the Atlantic when you want to. Yeah, we're, we're not too far from the inlet. Um, my wife and I actually picked up a, we built our house about eight years ago. We picked up some waterfront property here in Beaufort. And um, I don't actually own a personal boat. Um, it's that famous saying of the best kind of boat is a friend with a boat. So that's what I do now is I go out on friends boats. Um, but uh, I do own several boats. They're just not pleasure crafts. So yeah. we can dive into all that details. That's later. okay. 
Now, I think I heard some somebody once say that uh, the best day in your life is when you buy a boat and the second best day is when you sell the boat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, the, it, it's always the cleanest and the nicest, the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Yep. Yeah. yeah so. Anyway, all right. So this is not the road to family boating. Yep. Uh, but um, so you, as well as your partner, you've been involved in commercial real estate on the contracting side for a number of years. Um, when was it that you said to yourself, uh, I want to be on the owner side? Man, it's really been a, been a, a long, long journey for me. I, um, everybody's heard of the little purple book, uh, rich dad, poor dad. Um, I read it probably 10 years ago and, and have been just kind of aching on the entrepreneur side ever since then. And real estate kind of stuck with me from that book. Um, I'm sure you and many of your listeners have already read that book and, you know, a lot of people take a lot of different things from that book, whether it's business or real estate or, or financial freedom or whatever it is that they take from it. And what, what I really took from it was real estate. And um, I've really dove into to the ed- educational side of it for several years before I finally just kind of said, I either got to do it or move on, you know, and, and that's kind of it's kind of where I am now. We just decided to do it. And I feel like we got in at an excellent time. And um, uh, it was probably three years ago or so is when I really kind of said, all right, here we go. So. Gotcha. So most people tend to start in real, if, if they're going to get started in real estate investing, they start with maybe a single family home. Uh, did you, did you get started that way? Did you buy any other investment properties before you bought the ones no, that we're going to cover? Yeah. Great, great question. I, I actually coming from the contract inside, I, my, my long-term goal has always been more towards the development. So obviously ownership, but more, more on the development side, and I developed a duplex three years ago and I thought that was a great idea. And I learned real quick that it wasn't that great of an idea. And, um, <laughs> that's right when, um, and I'm sure many of the, your, uh, uh, listeners also know Grant Cardone is. So that's right when Grant Cardone was kind of like really going up, you know, with, with this whole 10X stuff. And, um, you know, the, the, the number of doors, number of doors, more doors, more doors was this big kind of, kind of trend word going on in the, in the industry. And, and I realized real quick with that duplex, why I didn't want to own a duplex. So I actually sold that before we even finished construction. Um, we ended up finishing it, selling it, getting rid of it. Thank you. Whew. Thank you that I did that. And then, um, then from there, we jumped straight into an 18 unit apartment complex. So we kind of went from zero to a hundred pretty quick. Okay. So I want to, co- I want to cover that 18 unit, but I, I want to sort of get your lessons learned on that duplex. You know, there's two, you know, two things I, I've always been told by my mentors don't get into development uh, and, and go for, and go for a lot of units. So yeah. what was, uh, what were the, what were some of the key reasons that you were like, I'm uh, nope, not, I don't want to, I don't want to be a developer and, and I don't want to develop a duplex. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's not so much of not being one, wanting to, wanting to be in the development side of more of not wanting to own duplexes. Um, I just learned really quickly that there's a lot of, there's, there's almost the same amount of risk when you're building a duplex versus if you were going to go buy and build a 48 unit apartment complex, you're still dealing with the municipality. You're just adding zeros to everything. You're still yeah. dealing with municipalities. You're still dealing with subcontractors. You're still dealing with a schedule, so on and so forth. And, you know, we, I got halfway through this duplex and went, oh my God, this is consuming so much of my time and I'm going to make 800 bucks a month. Like it's not worth it, you know? Yeah. And that's really where it was like, okay, I need to, I just, I'm thinking too small, you know, and, and you, you surround yourself with, with 
people that are thinking bigger than you and you think you're thinking big and then you surround yourself with people that are thinking even bigger and you have that realization where it's like, man, I, I need to really scale this thing up and make it make sense. Um, yeah, well, and it, uh, you know, we love the, we love talking about the law of the first deal, uh, you know, which is so many people will get caught uh, trying to swing for the fences. They're like, Oh, I, I want to, you know, I want my first deal to be a hundred unit apartment building. Uh, and you know, that that's, I think that's a great idea. Uh, you know, and I think uh, uh, owning a hundred unit apartment building is better than, than buying a, a single family home or even a duplex or fourplex. But chances are that if you're starting from nothing, uh, you're going to have a hard time uh, scaling up your, your experience and your knowledge to the point where you feel comfortable buying that hundred unit. Some people can do it. I've, I've talked to people. You're an example. You bought, you went straight to 16 units. Uh, and then, and then right after that, you went to 48 units, which we'll get into. But, um, so what was it, break down the, the, the numbers on that 16 unit force. And what was it that made you guys think, yeah, we can, we can do this. We don't need to, you know, screw that fourplex thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess jumping, jumping back to that, the, what was crazy about it when, when you said the, the, the law of the would you say the first law, deal first deal law, the first deal? Yeah. So I was actually, I was driving down the road and we were, we had just sold the duplex and we were finishing it up and, and, um, I was driving the road and, and I've, my wife and I own a, um, a salon suites in Moorhead city, which is the next town over, which is a whole, whole other little, little subsector of real estate that we love. But, um, I was driving down the road and I, and I know a, a, a commercial broker that we lease this property from for the salon suites. And I just kind of called him on a whim, to be honest with you. And I was like, you know, his name's Mike. I said, Mike, I'm uh, looking to try to buy a piece of commercial real estate. And um, you're my first guy I thought of. I just wanted to kind of bounce it off of and see what your thoughts were. And he said, well, what's your budget? And I said, I don't know, a million bucks. I don't know. And I didn't have a million dollars. I didn't have 200 grand for the 20% down, you know. <laughs> and um, about three weeks later, he called me back and um, said, I got an 18 unit apartment complex. Is that something you're interested in? I said, absolutely. So uh, we got to digging into it, and and um, I guess to give you a quick breakdown on the numbers, um, it's uh, we, we bought it for I think right at forty seven a door, and and look, a, a year ago I didn't. It's it's amazing how much you learn just from doing it. Um, you can read every book in the world, but until you do it, you know you you find these little things. The 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 price per door is really what I've started basing a lot of stuff off of because it kind of just tells me everything about the property. Um, and, uh, you know, we bought, we ended up paying a little bit more for it hindsight than I really should have, but, um, but it's, but it's a rock star property. I mean, it does, it does well. It, it brings in, it brings in about $10,000 a month, give or take. And, um, it's, uh, it's just a workforce type housing. It's was built in the late sixties, uh, two bedroom, one bath, got a big parking lot. It's kind of a no brainer from a maintenance standpoint. Um, we've renovated about half of them and, and it's kind of on cruise control. It's fully occupied. We are bumping everybody's rents uh, kind of as we see fit. You know, we like to look at ourselves as pretty fair owners. Uh, we work very well with the with our communities, and um, we we manage the manager quite tightly because we don't we don't self manage. Uh, I think it's very wise to hire a management company. Um, and you know, once you move it, once you get to a certain level, you know, going vertical with it is you know, everybody has their own opinion on that. And, uh, I personally think that that's something that we may look at in the future is going vertical with our own management. But for right now, um, it's a, it's an awesome property, man. It really is uh, just from a, from an overall standpoint. 
Uh, you, know, you know, one of the complaints that you get, um, or one of the, the drawbacks that people talk about with uh, going for that sort of mid-size multifamily um, is that a lot of times the management companies don't want to deal with it because it's just, it's too small for them. Uh, did you guys have any sort of a challenge finding a, a good management company? No, we, we didn't. And, and the reason we didn't is the people that were managing it for us now were the same ones who were managing it when we bought it. So somebody, I guess, had already had that conversation with them. Um, they're, uh, the, the town that we own this in it only has about 10,000 people in it. So it's considered a very small market. Um, it's, it's, the whole county's only got about 30,000. So to put that into perspective of, uh, say, Raleigh, there's a million people in Raleigh. So yeah. tiny, but it's at the beach. Um, the people that live here, live here. They live here their whole lives. They don't travel. They're, you know, workforce. That's what they do. They work at the grocery stores. They're firemen. They're police officers. Um, they, they work at the restaurants, all the stuff. And right now everybody's kind of, again, you know, that's a whole nother topic, but, yeah, yeah. um, but, but yeah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have too big of an issue, uh, when it came, came to the management side, we, we did have some issues with the management of being super laissez-faire on that property because, for one reason or another, whether it's the previous owner didn't manage them well, or if, because it was a smaller property, they kind of just said, ah, it's 18 units, no big deal. But what a, what a difference management can make, especially in times we find ourselves in now, it can make a, it can make or break the property without a doubt. And this goes into, you have to pay attention to your properties. You have to, to yeah. truly be, I mean, if it, to truly make them make sense, you have to pay attention to them. Yeah. Well, and, and especially when you're in that growth phase, you're still, you're still learning. Um, and you guys brought in an investor, correct? Yeah, we do. There's, there's a, there, we've, there's three of us total. We, so it's a, we look at it more of a partner um, than so much. He's yeah, not a, gotcha. too much of a silent investor. Yeah, so yeah. Three of us is really how we look at it. Gotcha. Um, and you're, you're all, you bought it for eight fifty. Is that correct? Yeah, eight thirty-five. I think so. That's what I was actually okay. sitting here doing the math. I was like, how much exactly did I pay for that per unit? But yeah, it was. Um, I want to say it was eight hundred and thirty thousand divided by eighteen. Yeah, so it's forty-six one a door. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And then, uh, did you did you buy it with financing or did you put you put down payment? Did yeah, you put, buy it did. all cash. Yeah, we so we did. We put down thirty-three uh, percent of that. So. Um, we, we, we raised, uh, we raised the $275,000 from our third partner. Um, he's, a uh, you know, it's, it's one of them things where everybody says that the, the minute you start asking around for people that have for money, you find all of a sudden there's all these people that have money and you didn't even know they had money. Yeah. This is a perfect yeah. example. Um, and it, and it, you know, not to be taken lightly of, um, he wouldn't just give anybody money. I mean, it all boils down to relationships and you know that better than anybody. Uh, boils down to relationships and, and your own, your own reputation and, and work ethic and so on and so forth to, for them to trust you with that money. But, but we raised the, uh, we raised the 33% um, of, of the 830 and uh, worked with a few different banks, convinced one to finally lend us some money. Um, we were able to get pretty good terms. We got uh, a 20 year AM uh, note with a 10 year term, 5% interest um, from a local bank. So it's, it's great debt, in my opinion, on, on a smaller property like this. There is room for a potential refi, maybe this time next year, give or take on that property. And we, we've kind of pushed the rents and, and forced, some, forced some equity into the deal, um, forced some appreciation. Uh, when, we, when we initially bought it, 
there was people in there paying as low as 400 bucks a month and a few people paying 600 and it, we're really kind of in like an $800 market. Oh, wow. We're in now. So there was tremendous rent growth opportunity. Now there's only 18 units. So the scalability of that is yeah, a little yeah. low, but it was able to push it to where the valuation of the property in about three or four months from now, when we go through another little rent rent bump, it will be in like the 1.2 mark. So we'll be able to do a, a refi, probably get some agency debt on it, pull a little bit out of cash. We may not pull as much as we're allowed to just because we don't really need to, um, to try to keep that, that monthly debt liability down. And, um, yeah. And from there, man, like I said, just kind of put it on cruise control. Um, we, we, we called, I learned, I learned when we did our salon suites that, um, there's a, you know, my wife and I, when we developed that, we, that was in 2016, I just quit my job offshore and we got married that year and it was crazy. You know, I was, I was broke. We had a mortgage. I didn't have but like 10 grand in my bank account. And, and we went around, to, we went to 10 different banks and, and I, I learned in two, and learned that in 2016, that a bank is like a safe and all you gotta do is figure out the combination. And once you figure out the combination, they'll give you money. And I figured that out. It's uh, it, it's, it's made a tremendous difference. And now in, with the debt that we've got now with the good debt that we've got now, I get frequent phone calls from banks wanting to know if I've got any more deals for them. So it's a fantastic place to be in. So, yeah. So I want to circle back a little bit because you, you talked about a couple of things and sometimes our listeners are, are not super experienced in some of the terms and, and concepts that you're talking about. I want to make sure they understand it. So uh, the first thing that you talked about was forcing the appreciation. Yep. Um, now, I, I understand what that means, but can you describe what it means on a commercial property um, to force the appreciation? Yeah. So, so basically just increasing the, the profitability of the property in its whole. So the NOI, which is the net operating income, um, it's the total revenue minus expenses and it's whatever you have left over, not including debt. Uh, and then banks take that number and they, whatever the cap rate is of the, of the area, the capitalization rate. And that's a, that's a very, the cap rate is, you know, not to, not to really get into the weeds, but everybody has a different opinion on the, on a cap rate, what it means and so on and so forth. If, if you really do some research on it, there's, you know, everybody's got a different opinion on cap rates, but, but anyway, you, you um, uh, do some math on the cap rate with the NOI and, and there's a value of the property. So the more money and the more profitable the property is, the lower the cap rate, the more the property's worth. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we force appreciation by increasing rents, managing the manager, like I was speaking of earlier, making sure we're keeping our expenses low, creating a good profit for the company as a whole. And um, cause each, each property needs to be ran as its own business. That's vital, vital for, yeah, the, for, the, yeah. for the property. So that's, that's how, that's what I mean by forcing appreciation is gotcha. increasing the profit line and making the property worth more money. Gotcha. And it's one of the things I absolutely love about commercial real estate is that when you're talking about the value of a property, it's, it's based on, the income that the property produces uh, divided by the cap rate. And there's no, there's not really usually any, any wiggle room. It's not like, nah, I don't really like the color of the outside stucco. So, you know, mm -hmm. we're only going to pay uh, a million for it instead of a million five. No, yeah. it is what, how much revenue did it bring in? How much, how many expenses did it have? What's the, that gives you the NOI divided by the cap rate. There's the value. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the great powers is that the multiplier that 
is the cap rate as that as you as you increase the NOI, you also very often and improve the property, you actually frequently you lower the cap rate because now it's a less risky. Bingo. Uh, and so so it increases the, the leverage even more. And you can take a very, very small little moves, you know, bump rent $50, lower expenses $50 a month. And now you've created an extra $100 a month in, in revenue. Uh, divide that, you know, divide that by a 10% cap rate. And you're talking, you know, you've just created what I'm just doing the math, $1,000 in value. Right. Just off the top of that, plus multiply that by, you know, a hundred units or even just 18 units. And mm -hmm. now you're talking, you're talking a lot of money. Yep. So yeah, that's a right. quick, and that all rolls back to scalability and the number of doors. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned agency debt. Can you d explain what you mean by agency debt? Yeah. So agency debt is uh Freddie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, type debt. Um, it's, it's more or less straight from the, Federal Reserve, for lack of a better uh, a better breakdown. I mean, I'm sure there's way more nuts and bolts than that, but um, the, the the backlog of agency debt is the government wants there to be affordable housing. And when I say affordable, I don't like to use that word because it gets misconstrued into government subsidized affordable housing, and that's not what I mean. The government wants there to be affordable housing for just the average blue collar family, the workforce. Like I was saying earlier. The, crowd that works the cop, the fireman, and so on and so forth. Um, so they, they provide what's called agency debt through uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and I think a few other sources. And, and it's very good debt. I mean, it's, it's um, the property has to be solid. It's got to be a proven concept. It has to be a proven market. Um, there needs to be good job growth in the area, so on and so forth. So they are, they are con uh, constringent upon a lot of it. And, and the beauty of it is, is not only is it good debt, it's low interest, 30 year term most of the time. It's also non-recourse, uh, which means that you do have to personally guarantee it, but it's not it, what non-recourse that gets misconstrued as well. Uh, non-recourse means that they're not going to come after anything else I own. You still have to personally guarantee the loan. Yeah. And in order to qualify for the agency debt, you have to meet a net worth requirement of the amount of debt that you're borrowing. So if you're borrowing a million bucks, the company that's borrowing it, being the properties LLC or whatever, has to have a net worth of that amount. So that can be combined from 10 people, but it has to be that net worth. So that's it. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, gotcha. Well, and, and again, it's, um, it, it's uh, typically lower interest rate. Uh, and it's also uh, a lot of times it's amortized over 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the term is usually uh, longer than 10 years, you know, it's 10 years or, or more, mm -hmm. uh, which can become a real, you know, which is a real challenge sometimes with commercial real estate. You don't want to get into uh, commercial real estate where your term is only five years, because if something goes wrong in that five years and you're suddenly faced with having to, to do a refinance and have to repay that loan, when, when the market's down, you can get in real trouble. So that's why agency debt is so, so valuable. Yep, absolutely. So, okay, so we covered we covered the the uh, some of the the more technical terms. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say was the biggest lesson learned from that first eighteen unit? Um, I would say liquidity, uh, like having having reserve capital or lack thereof. Uh, that that's probably the biggest thing. Um, we didn't really factor in 
we didn't really factor in having, you know, say 50 grand sitting in a bank account as a just in case. And, and we made buy, I mean, we, you know, we, we had, I don't remember exactly what the number was. Say we had $15,000 in a bank account. Well, you have two people move out and have to renovate a property that 15 grand goes away quick, really quick. So that's kind of where I would say if that's the biggest lesson learned um, would, would be making sure that you're, you're nailing down all the nuts and bolts of a performa and, and really having a, a good idea of that capital and, and being undercapitalized in any business, whether it's real estate or, or any other thing is, is a, I mean, it's, it'll kill you. You could be, you could be, have a great business, have a ton of customers, but if you don't have enough capital, it can, you can go bankrupt like that. So yep. not having enough capital is the short answer. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, 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 I think I often talk about this as the three immutable laws of real estate investing uh, invest for cash flow. Uh, with long-term agency debt, <laughs> low leverage debt, and have sufficient cash reserves. You do those three things and you, you can thrive in almost any market. Correct. And a lot, of, a lot of investors are finding that out right now. Um, if, they, uh, if they're undercapitalized and all of a sudden they had uh, 12 tenants stop paying rent and they don't have the reserves to, to handle that, they could get in trouble in a real hurry. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think also right now, and, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in surrounding yourself with positivity in every aspect of life, you know, and, and I think right now is a, is a, is a prime example of, of the importance of understanding that you control people's homes in an apartment, that you're not just a landlord. You don't just own yeah. an apartment building. You control people's homes. They live there. They grow their children. Yeah. They grow up their, their children grow up there. They raise yeah. a family. That, and you control that. So having clear communication with them and, and also having a strong enough business on the back end to be able to work with some of those people, it'll make us such a better community and they'll, they'll want to pay their rent. You know what I mean? It's not like, man, I got to pay my rent. And yeah, of course, they're not going to be jumping up and down. Yeah, I get to pay my rent. But, but they're going to be like, they're going to know that it's going to somebody that's also a small business owner. And that's, that's also looking out for their better, their, their best you know, the best property that they can have. So where they're going to, like I said, grow their, uh, raise their kids and grow up. So very important. Yeah. When you, when, when the average person thinks of a, a real estate slum Lord, that's probably an undercapitalized, uh, owner. Yeah, a, <laughs> Somebody, lot, a lot of times, or, or it's for one reason or another, they just don't, you know, you have to take emotion out of it. Some yeah. there's times where you'll get taken advantage of. You can't be too nice, but yeah. it's, you know, again, it's just the importance of communication. And, and like the reason I brought that up was you said, if you know, if you had 12 tenants all of a sudden come up and say, Oh, well, I can't pay my rent. Well, if you're communicating with them and they call you and say, Hey, look, I'm going to not be able to pay my rent this month. You can respond and say, okay, well, how much can you pay? Like, we understand this yeah. is crazy times. How much can you pay? Like understand that if you don't pay, I can't pay the mortgage. And then if I can't pay the mortgage, the bank is going to come take it. And, you don't want that as a tenant. You don't want that. So again, having clear communication with your tenants. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, and it's hard right now. I mean, I've seen a lot of really uh, terrible uh, stories about tenants having rent strikes and things like that. And, you know, and, and the, the thing that people need to remember uh, that most landlords are not some massive multi you know, multi-million dollar company. It's, it's, it's people like you and me, you know, mm -hmm. small, little small business owners uh, that are providing a, a service, providing a place to live. And, 
and we have we have bills to pay as well and when we don't get the bills paid from the tenants then the bank doesn't get paid by us and the bank has investors and and yep. people to you it know rolls people, uphill. it all rolls uphill yep. and eventually the bill comes due somewhere and and it usually doesn't turn out all that well for unfortunately the little guy correct and the little guy includes the tenant and the landlord yep so all right yeah. so you you guys you brought in an investor on that deal how much did you do you recall how much you personally had to bring to that first deal um, that's an interesting thing. Um, so, um, I didn't really, we brought, I brought in about 2,500 bucks and I, I don't, you know, it's a, uh, it's a thing that it sounds like from that right there, it's like, Oh my gosh, like he only put up 2,500 bucks, but the amount of time and energy and, and there's so much more than just the 2,500 bucks, obviously, Neil, you, you know, that more, again, more than anybody, but, um, yeah, we, we, we came, we basically, paid the soft costs of closing. So we paid for the appraisal and the, and the, uh, uh, the uh, closing fee, the, uh, well, I'm drawing a blank on the loan fees, but, but anyway, the origination fees on a loan, stuff like that. So we oh, yeah. small numbers of, so the partnership in total, um, being Chris Coast Capital Holdings paid about five grand into that first deal. Um, okay. and then about two months after we bought it, roll back what we were talking about earlier with the lack of capital, we had to put in about another 20 grand because of gotcha. that. So that was a tough spot. Um, fortunately enough, um, we had the money to do that and we didn't have to go to an investor or a partner because we did not want to do that because that's yeah. not, not good look. Um, but yeah, so we had to come out of pocket about another 20,000 uh, total. And so right now we've got about 25 grand in that deal and um, it is worth about one point, Two million bucks, and we owe about five hundred grand on it. So that's great. That's great, and it and it's cash flowing, and other people are paying down the debt every month, and it's great. Life is good. So, all right. So, <laughs> the second deal was a forty-eight unit apartment uh, that was much more challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you recall for you? And we we really went into this in detail uh, with Alan in our our last episode. So I don't want to go. Uh, I don't want to dig yeah, yeah, deep absolutely. into the weeds, but for you, can you recall a moment where the most hair pulling moment where you thought this, I'm this, I'm done. This is not worth it. We're getting out of this. Yeah. So um, I would say that we were, we were actually in a unit renovating because I do a lot of the work myself. And again, some people will argue back with that, but I'm a hands-on guy. So I, so sweat equity is what I call it. But we yeah. were actually in one of the units refinishing the floors in the 18 unit deal. And um, Alan and I both, and he got a phone call from the owner because this was a direct to owner deal. You know, we didn't have a broker involved. And uh, he called and, and said, I don't know, I think his words were literally, hey, fellas, um, I'm, I've I got to sell to somebody else or something like that. And we're under contract, like, like yeah. rolling, you know, thought everything was good. And, um, we were confused, obviously, because we're going, what do you mean you're selling somebody else? We're under contract. And he said, well, you know, somebody offered willing to pay, I don't know what it was, another $50,000 more than us or something. And, uh, you know, there's no bank, there's no nothing. He's just going to give me cash. And we were like, you know, we'd already done the inspections, everything. I mean, we were lining up subs also really kind of threw a thing. And, you know, you could get into the legal side of that where you're under contract. He can't do that. But 
one, we don't really know because we're still, look, I don't have this all figured out. I'm still figuring it out every day. But um, it, that was that was the most hairpin moment. And, and we were able to, from the relationship that we built with that owner and the tactfulness of Alan and I both were kind of blessed with the gift of gab, what people call. So, so through tactful. Yes, I, yes, I know. Say that again. I said, yes, I know. Yes. So <laughs> no. it's a, uh, um, it, you know, we were able to kind of talk our way back into it. And um, we ended up coming out at the end of the day, a little bit better than we did before he ever called and said that. So <laughs> it ended up being great, but, but that was probably when I was like, all right, this guy's, this guy's nuts. I mean, we're wasting our time here, but it ended up good. Yeah. You know, I, the, the deal only really just starts once you get it under contract, you know, that's so often like that's where the work starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into finding a deal and negotiating and get it to the point where it's under contract. But man, I mean, there are so many different things that can happen once, you know, there's so much work that goes in between the time that you, you get it under contract and you close. Uh, yeah. And so that's where you're, you know, that's where, that's where your money's made. Yeah. That's, that's where the, that's where the GP or the general partner or the, or the, whoever's controlling the deal, the sponsor, whatever the term is that you call yourself yeah. comes into play because you know, no, everybody else, you got one thing you got to remember is obviously other than your investors, the banks you're dealing with, they're just an employee working for a bank. The uh, appraisers that you're working with, they're just an employee working for an appraiser. So they drop the ball on things, so on and so forth. So having a checklist, knowing exactly what the steps are like, Hey, have we released the appraisal yet? Like all these things that the bank is supposed to do, having somebody to control that to make it go as smooth as possible. And, and we're a very, um, clear communication as I've, as I've expressed with my tenants as well. Same thing with all of our partners and I call them partners. I'm talking about the banks, the appraisers, the surveyors, the, everybody yeah. that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. yeah. So that first deal you found um, through a broker, mm-hmm. the second deal you found uh, you went direct to the owner. How did you find that deal? Um, Alan, my partner um, that you went into detail with, he actually found it through, through direct mailers. Um, we, he sent out, man, I, he's got, I do not have very good penmanship. Uh, Alan does. So he's, he handwrite, literally handwrites letters to owners. I think he sent out 60 last week, handwritten wow. letters. The entire letter, not just the envelope on the outside. Correct. Wow. So he, he, we've sent out some that like look like they're handwritten and we probably sent out a few hundred of those. And I don't know. I mean, he, he's, it's, it's good. He handwrites the majority of them. So at least he's telling me he is, I'm not watching him do it, but, but yeah, yeah. No, so he's, he handwrites a lot of them and that's how we got that one. And, and it's not a, most of the time it's a pretty boilerplate, you know, where we buy a farm building, yada, yada, yada. Um, which I don't know if I could look it up. I don't know exactly what that says. I hope maybe Alan shared that with you. I'm not sure, but um, I don't think he did actually. Um, it, it's just a, you know, introducing yourself and putting a face with a name and people want to, people want to work with a person when you're, when you're doing those direct mailers, they want to work, they want, they want it to make sense. They don't want to work for some guy and, you know, as everybody coins the term, some wall street guy that's, they want to work with a real life person. So, so explaining yourself and, and we had the local, we, we sold the whole local thing, meaning Alan and I are both from the same town that we bought these apartment buildings in, grew up here. We know the roads. We, my brother used to live in one of the units, you know? 
so we kind of use that at, to our advantage um, from a uh, from a sales pitch stand uh, uh, standpoint of being able to buy them. And um, yeah, it went it went well. But but again, yeah, Alan puts them together and sends them out. We build lists from all over the place. Secretary of State websites. We buy some. Um, yeah, we do a lot of driving around. I tell every everybody I know about, Hey, you know, anybody that has an apartment building, let me know if they want to sell it. Everybody. So it's, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a great, that's, it's a great practice to get into. Tell everybody what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned that from the old Brandon Turner, I think is who says that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember what he said about that. That's how he bought his first apartment uh, building. Yeah. It was somebody in his church. Gotcha. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just remember him yeah. on one of the podcasts. He was, that was like his, what do they do at the very beginning of their podcast? They do like a, uh, like a quick thing. Quick tip. Day or, quick tip. There you go. Yeah. Quick, quick tip. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize to everyone for that uh, off key thing, but that's a pretty good, I think it was a pretty good impression of, of the bigger pockets. Quick tip. Yeah. I agree. Oh, so, so. all right. So um, when you got started, uh, when you decided, all right, I'm, I'm going to do mid-size multifamily. You know, uh, how, what was the, what do you think it was that you really had to learn how to do that you didn't know before to be successful? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think, um, man, that's a good question. I've learned so much after buying these things. I, I think that the, the most important thing is, is knowing, like I said earlier, is, is knowing, knowing when to take emotion out of it. And, and not, yeah, I, I think that's the toughest thing because, you know, you think of business as a business, but a lot of people don't think of real estate as a business, but, but it really is. I mean, it is down to the nuts and bolts. I own several other businesses and I mean, it is a business. So like knowing when to take the emotion out of it with your tenants and, and stuff like that. I, I think that's the, the, the biggest thing. Like I've had to learn how to be a little more humble. Um, not so much just you know, this is mine and this is how we're going to do it, but maybe be a little more humble about stuff. Gotcha. No. So you, um, you still have a full-time job. Uh, you've got the, the two properties. What does a day in the life of uh, a day in the life for you look like when it comes to real estate investing? Uh, um, I should call my wife up here and get her to give that opinion. Um, so uh, a day <laughs> same, in the life. Same here. Yeah. A day in the life is strictly real estate wise. Um, right now I'm kind of the boots on the ground cause I live about 20 minutes from both properties. So I'm kind of the boots on the grounds guy. Um, I'm, I'm there not every day, but, but I'm on the property four days a week. Most of the time, not all day, but I'll stop by for 20 or 30 minutes or, or I am there all day, depending on what we're doing. Uh, I was there all day today. I came straight from there. I still got paint on my hands, but, um, because the 48 unit, we're doing a lot of renovations. It's a total, total turnkey re- or total renovation on the whole project. But um, yeah, I would say from a, from a day-to-day thing, it's more or less just managing the construction side of side of the of the project and and the, and the background of the finances. Um, right now, given and the reason that is is with the partnership that Alan and I have, it I couldn't do it without him, and he couldn't do it without me, and that's the best type of partnership. So like when we get our monthly reports in from our management team, I don't even look at them. Alan does all that. 
because if the if the deal was in Raleigh, 20 minutes from his house, it'd be the other way around. He'd be on the property every day and I'd be dealing with the paperwork. So that's kind of, we didn't really plan that either. It just kind of developed that way. But um, I would say overseeing construction and then just, you know, once a week or so, Alan and I are on the phone for a couple hours and we just go over all the numbers and make sure our investors are happy, make sure the property's meeting the performance that we put together, make sure our construction budget's on track, communicating with our lenders um, and communicating with whatever avenues that we have for more deals, whether that's because we still do communicate with brokers and um, we, we work with our lenders a lot because they know they obviously lend to people that do the same thing we do. So we work with our lenders a lot to try to like um, schmooze them to get us to get more deals. So if they find one, they'll bring it to us. Yeah. Um, How many hours would you say you're, you're spending? Um, And I know it's, and I know it's going to vary based on what's going on. I would say, so from a real estate investing perspective, I would say less than 10. If I had now hands-on with the renovations different, I'd say probably 20 hours a week. Um, but again, that's because I choose to do that. You don't, you don't have to. I mean, it just, again, I call it sweat equity. You know, yeah. I can go finish a floor and whatever, just cause I've got the time to do it. And, and, you know, there's more reasons, there's reasons why I can do that when somebody else couldn't, but it's, um, yeah. Gotcha. So if you, if you got this to the point where it was a little bit more on autopilot, you guys were not having to, you, you stop doing the sweat equity. You, you know, you contract this out to, to uh, other people to do your work. Is this the kind of thing that you could go off and, and could you do it from anywhere in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So my wife and I, yes. And I can elaborate on that if you want me to. Okay. Yes, please do. So um, my, my wife and I met in Hawaii and we are, we are, um, I don't know if you read that sign right there, but it says Hawaii is always a good idea. And yeah, uh, I agree. So we, we go to Hawaii every year and um, we, we normally take about a 10 day trip out there. And um, I mean, yeah, everything is when I'm gone, it's, it doesn't, nothing changes. And that's the beauty of, of having a, a third party management company right now, or even if it's not a third party, but having a manager that, that manages. And, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's same with the salons, same with the apartments It all, it all continues to move because of the power of team and, uh, the power of delegation. So absolutely. Um, the, the long-term goal with that is to be in Hawaii about six months out of the year. So that's not a bad, not a bad goal real soon. No, it's not, man. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, especially right now, I'd love to be there right now. So oh God, yeah, it'd be uh, amazing. Man. <laughs> Um, uh, so what's your favorite Island? Uh, we go to Maui. Uh, we're, we're trying to buy a property out there. We, we've been looking for probably two years or so. We want to try to buy a, we want to try to buy a short-term rental out there. Um, but we want to make sure we do it right. So we're really, we're being very, very picky. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, we don't want to add to the problem. There's a lot of problem out there and not to get into the weeds about Hawaii, but there's a lot of problem out there with affordable. And again, when I say affordable, there, I don't mean government housing, but people just yeah. can't afford like locals just yeah. can't afford to pay rent because it's so expensive. So we don't want to yeah. do that problem and short-term yeah, rental yeah. needed to that problem. Yeah. So we're trying to be very selective um, on what we buy. So, yeah, no, uh, my wife and I had our honeymoon on Maui. Uh, we went back 
not this last, probably a, a year ago, this last November, we went back with uh, my in-laws and my, my wife and my Mama's son. Fish we house and went up to Paella. Oh yeah. I went, yeah. I went to Mama's Fish House, drove, drove the road to Hana. Oh yeah. Got uh, you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the first time we stayed in, um, oh God, Kanapali, mm-hmm. uh, for our honeymoon. And then, uh, the second time we were down in, uh, uh, Waimea. Nice. Uh, and it was just, uh, uh, it's I love that island. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, I could yeah we, for an hour. I'd like to get it. Yeah, yeah. We, we won't get this. We, we won't get it in, into it too much. But yeah. uh, well, listen, Jimmy. Uh, so for our listeners who want to learn more about you and what you're doing, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, I would say if, if anybody wanted to, I mean, I'm, I'm one of my biggest passions in life is teaching people, um, and I don't do as much of it as I wish I did. Um, I love I love everything business. So, I mean, if you feel free to put my, my email address, um, uh, out there, it's, it's, uh, say, which one should I use here? Uh, my, my personal email address is it's James Johner at hotmail.com. They feel free to email me. I'll reach back out to them, um, as often as I can. And, and then our, our website is, is chrisacostcapital.com. Um, still underneath under construction a little bit, but, um, Either, either way, uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, um, at James Johnner on Instagram and, uh, people can reach out to me however they want to. So I'm, I'm gotcha. and, the spelling is, and the spelling of Johnner is J O H N N E R. Correct. Uh, single N. Oh, single N my bad. Yeah, All right. No, no, no. J O H N E R. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. It was really great catching up with you, my friend. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you in Maui. Yeah, absolutely, Neil. Thank you when, very much. When, you know, when all this, when all this, uh, when all the craziness comes to an end, yeah, we'll be, we'll be there, our houses we'll be again. There soon. But yeah, be safe and um, look forward to seeing you soon. All right, see you. Thanks. Okay, that was Jimmy Johnner from Crystal Coast Capital Holdings. Uh, again, I, uh, you know, I, I love talking to Jimmy and and his partner Alan. Uh, a little bit of unusual where we interviewed two partners uh, uh, about a week apart, but I, I I thought it worked. I really enjoyed it. Um, so for me. Uh, the um the biggest lesson learned for me on this interview was that you know you can read every book on real estate investing you want uh before you do it but you're really you're really not going to learn it until you start doing it um and and i i've experienced that and pretty much every investor uh that i've ever talked to has said that you know they did their you know 10% of their learning was from the books and then the rest was from actually doing it. And, um, it also removes, you know, it removes a lot of the fear, uh, that runs, you run into when you're thinking about putting money down on an investment property. So, uh, you know, find a way, read, but find a way to get out there and do it. Even if it's just, you know, uh, even if it's just investing in a deal, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you're just too fearful of, of being the point man, find, find somebody who's got, um, you know, deal flow and some experience and invest in them. That's kind of what Brittany and I, how Brittany and I got started. Um, and I highly recommend it, you know, just find somebody who's, uh, who's a little bit more experienced and, and invest in them and you'll, and you'll, you will learn by doing that. So, um, as far as the, the, the main piece of knowledge that Jimmy had to, to learn uh, to make himself successful. Uh, he said he had to learn to when to take the emotion out of it. And, uh, and that's such great advice. And so many, 
landlords that we talk to talk about that uh, because you, you know, when, when you're dealing with tenants, um, you got to have a lease and you really, anytime a tenant, both legally and it's just good business, when an issue comes up, you have to point to the lease. What's in the lease? I'm sorry, I can't do that. The lease says we have to do this. I'm sorry, um, at five days is when, uh, is when the late fee kicks in. This is how much it is. I'm sorry that your grandma died again, but uh, uh, this is what's gotta happen. Um, and that's, if, if you do that, one, you're gonna be in, you should be in legal compliance because if you start doing things differently for different tenants, uh, you can get in real legal trouble in a real hurry. Uh, if they start to complain, complain that, you know, you're treating other tenants differently. Um, but the same goes with just investing, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I love about commercial real estate is that uh, there's not a lot of emotion in it. It's, it comes down to income. Um, how much, Hey, listen, I would love to pay you $2 million for your property. That's generating nine, $90,000 a year in income. Um, but that's a really, that's, that, it doesn't, a bank's not going to loan me that money uh, because they look at it. They're going to look at your, your, your income minus your expenses. And they're going to tell you that's, you know, that doesn't justify that. So remove the emotion from it. Um, so how much money did he get? Did it take for him to get started in the deal? Uh, and we talked about this with his partner, Alan Hill last week, it was about $2,500, which is, which is phenomenal. Um, now he ended up having to, to bring about another $20,000 into the deal later. Um, but that really shows you, shows you the power of, of finding a deal and then bringing other people's money uh, into the deal is you can, you can very quickly get into a very big deal um, with not a lot of money. Um, time. He, he's the boots on the ground in, in the group. Uh, so I would say he spends about 10 to 20 hours a week, um, about four days a week, he said. Uh, not a lot of time. Uh, a lot of it depends on what's going on. But, uh, uh, and as far as whether or not he could do it from anywhere in the world, he said yes. Um, he, he wants to ultimately uh, spend about six months out of the year in Maui, uh, and, uh, or at least in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian Islands somewhere. Uh, it might be, might not be something he could do right now as they're in growth mode, but but uh, all he's got a lot of different businesses. If you heard him talk about the salon business, his wife uh, he and his wife own, and it really comes down to building the teams uh, that are going to take care of that for you uh, when you're away. So that's all for now. Uh, we're almost doing this all again next week, and Brittany will be joining me again. It's just been kind of a strange. Uh, it's been a strange couple of episodes and she just had a lot going on. So once again, that was Jimmy Johnner from Crystal Coast Capital Holdings. And uh, let's hit the road. We'll see you next week. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.